You're listening to audio from Shandon Baptist Church. If you'd like to check out more resources from us, please visit our website at shandon.org. say thank you to everyone joining us today on this special day, this Father's Day, and what a privilege it is to be able to honor our dads and to say thank you for all that you have done, all that you've invested into our lives, for the wisdom, for the direction, the change of direction that sometimes you've needed to provide for us. And we're so grateful for your provision. I I brought a picture of my dad and myself, one of my favorite pictures that I have of growing up. And this is also my grandfather. We call him Grandbear. And this is the first time ever that I went hunting with my dad. And the Those who know me know I love the outdoors, and so I can trace my love of the outdoors to this very picture as a seven-year-old being in the woods with my dad and my grandfather. And I'm just so grateful for all that my dad has invested into my life. I'm blessed to have a dad who not only led with integrity and leads with integrity, not only has set an example and continues to set an example for what it means to live a godly life, but uh, above all, a dad who is in love with Jesus and has over and over and over again and continues to point our family to the good news of what Christ has done. I'd like to have a word of prayer for all of our dads and for all of us as we step into the word of God here today on this Father's Day. I realize many of you are celebrating your dad, but I also realize for many of you, this can be a bittersweet day and it can be a challenging day as you think about memories or or moments lost or, or perhaps even things that have not been that you would have liked for there to be, but this is an opportunity for us to fix our eyes on our heavenly father and to be reminded that that one of the attributes of God himself is that of a father, a perfect father who loves us and who pursues us with his love. So let's go before the Lord right now on this Father's Day and ask God to guide us in this time. Father God, it is a privilege to pause and to thank you for the gift and provision of fatherhood. We're so grateful for our dads and for all that they have poured into our lives and continue to pour into our lives. I pray your hand of blessing on all the dads who are joining into this service today. I pray that you would continue to grant them wisdom and discernment and courage and strength as they seek to live a life that is pleasing to you and leads their family well. And Father, for those on this Father's Day who this day actually represents a a challenge or or a difficult memory or or perhaps even the, the reminder of loss or things that have not been as they desired. I pray, Lord God, That you, the loving, gracious, and compassionate, perfect Father, would meet them in their moment of need, in their time of need, and allow them to see with eyes wide open the love and the provision that you have made for us all through the gift of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord God, that you would fix our eyes on you as we turn our attention to your word. Use this time for your glory and for our joy as we seek to hear from you. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. Amen. 
Well, as Pastor Ed said a moment ago in the scripture reading for today's message, we are back in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, picking up right where we left off last week. And before I step back into the word of God, I just want to start by saying this has been such an unusual season for so many and driving this unusual season in many people's lives has been the feeling of fear. For many, fear has been the the dominant feeling just simmering under the surface as the coronavirus hit our area two to three months ago now. And then as the unknown continued to be the, the driving narrative of our story, fear continued to simmer for so many. And then as the, the wave of closures began to hit the economy, and as people have experienced job loss or income loss, that fear was heightened even more and may continue to be heightened for some right now thinking about finances and thinking about the unknown. And then in recent weeks, in the midst of all the racial tension that has been swirling around in our culture, in our community, and in our nation, fear has yet again seemed to grip many people's lives. How will we respond to this hostility? How will we respond to this systemic racism that has been so prominent in our culture? How will we respond to injustice And what if we don't agree on the right way to respond? And what if there are people on the other side of this conversation that are angry and mad at us? And what if we say the wrong thing? And what if we don't know what to do? Fear has been so prevalent in recent days, weeks, and months as we've sought to navigate 2020. As we turn our attention back to the scripture and as we step back into 2 Corinthians 5, a passage of scripture that is encouraging us to lift our eyes and look to eternal things, there is a type of fear that is discussed. There is a type of fear that the scripture says is actually an appropriate and necessary fear in the life of of a follower of Jesus Christ. So let's look again at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11. The Apostle Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says this, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. But what we are is known to God, and I hope it is known also to your conscience. The Apostle Paul here in 2 Corinthians 5 is talking about a fear of the Lord. He says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord. Let me ask you, do you know the fear of the Lord? For the fear of the Lord should be prominent in the life of a follower of Jesus. But what is this all about? What does it mean to know the fear of the Lord? What does it mean to fear the Lord? 
Well, anytime the scripture uses the word therefore, we need to pause for a moment and ask, what is it therefore? What is the, this word connecting as it brings two thoughts together? Well, last week we ended our message on courage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Let's go back and see what the scripture says in verse 10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So here is the Apostle Paul in this letter to the church, connecting a fear of the Lord with the reality that every single one of us will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we talked about this last week. The scripture is saying everyone, regardless of who you are, regardless of if you're religious or irreligious, regardless of if you honor God or run from God, everyone, according to the word of God, will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and will be judged for the way we have lived this life. Now for the follower of Christ, This is actually very good news to hear because for the follower of Christ, that day of judgment will take place through the lens of what Christ has done for us. That judgment will happen through the finished work of Christ. And so that means for the follower of Jesus, the day of judgment is not a threat For the follower of Jesus, the the day of judgment is actually a celebration because the judgment that will be executed will be executed through the lens of what Christ accomplished through the cross and the power of his resurrection. And so we know from the word of God, the good news of the gospel, that the Christian will not stand guilty in the sight of God on the day of judgment, but the Christian will stand spotless and clean before the judgment seat of Christ. But the word of God also reveals for those who are not in Christ, the judgment that will happen at the judgment seat of Christ will be done through the lens of what that life has accomplished or failed to do. And what that means is for the individual who's not a follower of Jesus on the day of judgment, their life will stand before God. Everything that has happened in their life will be on display before God and they will receive in that day of judgment the ramifications for all that they have done and the sin of their life will cause them to stand guilty as charged before the holy judge. It is sobering to think about the day of judgment, but it is through the lens of the gospel that those who are followers of Jesus Christ recognize in light of the day of judgment, there is an invitation and a call to live with an appropriate fear of the Lord. 
For when you know a fear of the Lord, you understand this reality that judgment is awaiting us all. And you understand as you are reminded daily of the brokenness of our world and the brokenness of our own hearts, that this fragile life will come to an end. And when this life comes to an end, we will stand before judgment with Christ as our only hope. And in this fear of the Lord, we are also reminded that we have been invited to share with others the beautiful gift of what Christ has done for us so that our only hope can also be clearly seen as the only hope for all in this life. With that in mind, I want to lay before what the scripture reveals are three different reasons why we should live with a knowledge of the fear of the Lord. How do you live a life that points to a healthy, appropriate fear of the Lord? Number one, a healthy, appropriate fear of the Lord lives in a posture of awe. What does it mean to live in a posture of awe? Well, a posture of awe is a posture of worship. We worship God because of who he is and because of what he has revealed to us. I love the way the psalmist writes this in Psalm chapter 22, beginning in verse 22. He says, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. The scripture is saying God has revealed his love to us. So stand in awe of what our God has done to invite us into this gift of his provision through the grace and mercy extended to us through Jesus Christ. You see, when we are reminded of the brokenness of our lives, And when we are confronted with what is frightening in this broken world, the scripture is saying to those who are followers of Jesus, remember the gift that you have received and stand in awe of the amazing grace of God who has invited you to be forgiven, to be made new, to be rescued and reconciled to God himself so that in the day of judgment, you can know in confidence that Christ has made a way for you when you could not make a way for yourself. It is this awe, it is this worship of who God is and what he has revealed that invites us to a life of action and obedience in our 
faith. I love this quote from Paul David Tripp. He says, joyful, perseverant obedience only grows in the soil of worship. Let worship lift your eyes to that which is eternal and remind you of what God has done. Therefore, know the fear of the Lord in awe of who he is, in worship of what he has done. But secondly, to live with a knowledge of the fear of the Lord means we live with an eternal urgency. We live with an eternal urgency. What do I mean by this? Well, this simply means that the Christian is comfortable saying, I know that my time on earth is short. If there's anything that we have been reminded of in recent months, it is that life is fragile and life is short. And this should lead those who are followers of Christ to a sense of eternal urgency that says, I want to make the most of the time that I have been given. Every breath, every day is a gift of grace from God. And I want to use it to its fullest to glorify the one who has given me this gift. Let me turn your attention to James chapter 4 beginning in verse 13. The scripture says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. But as it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him, it is sin. Now, I love the power of these verses because there is tremendous comfort in James chapter 4 for the life of one who is a follower of Jesus Christ. These verses are saying, yes, it is good to make plans. It is good to be concerned about tomorrow. It is good to have a vision for the future. Be prepared But as you prepare and as you plan, live with open hands that say God is in control. For only God knows tomorrow. And it is incredibly arrogant to believe that we control Tomorrow, And so James is saying, as a follower of Christ, I live in the freedom that says, I'm going to make the most of today. And I'm going to plan for tomorrow. And I'm going to prepare for the future. But if my plans do not come to fruition, I'm going to be okay. Because my God is in control. I am living to live in the center of God's 
will. And I'm going to do the right thing right now because I know that my God holds my future in his hands and I want to make the most of every moment that he has given to me in this life. To live with a healthy fear of the Lord lives with an eternal urgency knowing that this life is short. But then finally, number three, the life of one who lives with a healthy knowledge of the fear of the Lord stands on the truth and speaks in compassion. For the Christian, we stand on the truth and we speak in compassion. Why? Because we know that all will stand before God in judgment. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, the apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, we persuade others. We share the good news. We tell of what Christ has done. We speak the truth and we speak the truth in compassion so that the truth can be heard. One of the most beautiful examples of this, in my opinion, in all of the scripture is found in the Old Testament with the prophet Isaiah. You can see this in Isaiah chapter six. For Isaiah is given a vision of eternity. He's given a vision of the Lord seated on the throne, surrounded by the angelic host in all of his glory, in all of his magnificence, in all of his majesty. And the vision that Isaiah is given is absolutely beautiful. And at the same time, it is absolutely terrifying. And look at what the scripture reveals. When Isaiah sees this vision and comes face to face with the holiness of God and the unworthy nature of Isaiah in his heart and in his sin. Isaiah 6 verse 5. Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I'm lost I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Isaiah is saying, I am sinful. The people that I live among are sinful and I am helpless and I am hopeless on my own unless... There is somehow divine intervention for me. Because in the sight of a holy God, there is nothing I can do to prove my worth. Isaiah 6 verse 6 then says, Then one of the seraphim, one of the angels flew to me in this vision and having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar and he touched my mouth and he said, behold, this has touched your lips and your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. Now this is a prophetic preview of the cross 
of Jesus Christ as God is giving Isaiah a clear vision that there is nothing that Isaiah can do to make atonement for his sin on his own. The only way his sin can be atoned for, paid for, is if he receives a gift and a cleansing and a healing that he could never do on his own. The clear description that the gift of salvation is a gift of grace. And look at how Isaiah responds when he receives this beautiful gift. Verse 8, he heard, I heard a voice from the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah responds and said, Here I am. Send me. Now we talk about this a lot here at Shandon. Our vision to live sent, to leverage who we are and what we've been given for the sake of the gospel wherever we are and wherever God takes us. To live sent. And the scripture is reminding us here, it is a fear of the Lord that leads us to stand up and speak the truth in compassion for the world is longing to hear what is our hope. As Isaiah comes face to face with this unbelievably beautiful, terrifying vision of God on the throne in all of his majesty. He says, I am so unworthy, but as you have made me clean, I will go where you want me to go and I will say what you want me to say. Here am I, send me. And it's in light of this truth that we return to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So we see the Apostle Paul saying, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. We share this good news so that others may hear. And then verse 12 and 13. He writes, we are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And if we are in our right mind, it is for you. Now, these verses are absolutely Incredible and such a gift here because Paul is saying when you fix your eyes on eternity and when you live with a knowledge of the fear of the Lord, your life does not have to be about you. Do you realize that the stress of your life comes because your life is often fixated on your life? Do you realize that the heavy burdens we so often carry are burdens that we carry because our heart is consumed with ourselves? 
Do you realize that so much of the fear that we experience in this life is fear that we experience because our eyes are fixed on us and our limited ability to control the circumstances of our life and specifically the circumstances around our life. And the scripture is saying, When you live with the fear of the Lord and you recognize the finished work of Christ and you fix your eyes on eternal things, you don't have to live your life anymore to focus on yourself. For your life is now all about Christ and what he has done. And Paul is saying, I'm not trying to draw attention to the things that I've done. I'm not trying to make this all about me. I'm trying to draw attention to Christ and what he has done. He's given me a new heart. He's given me a new life. I want people to see Jesus when they see my life. For the reality is, for so many people, religion is all about their works. It's all about what they are trying to do to prove that they are worthy to clean up the outside while the inside is still a total mess. This is the very definition of hypocrisy. It's all about a show on the outside. Paul is saying here in the scripture, I want to be able to boast about the heart change that God alone could bring. And here's how you can see the heart change in me. Paul is saying, I used to be all about my resume. I used to be all about drawing attention to myself. The things that used to fire me up the most were the things that I had accomplished or the things that I thought were most important. But all of that has changed. This is what we see in verse 13. The apostle Paul is saying, look, I'm going to get my mind fired up and my heart on fire from time to time. I'm going to lose my mind From time to time, I'm going to be beside myself from time to time. But here's the point. When I lose my mind, I will lose my mind for the cause of Christ. I'm not going to lose my mind based on what I want. I'm going to lose my mind based on what Christ has done. He's saying, I'm not going to lose my mind based on what I've been watching all day on Fox News or MSNBC. I'm going to lose my mind based on what I've been seeing in God's word and experiencing in the change of my heart through the good news of the gospel. He's saying, I'm not going to lose my mind based on what people post on social media. I'm going to lose my mind based on what God has said that Christ has done. I will lose my mind for the sake of The gospel, for I am going to be most passionate about what matters most. I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus, and I am going to be beside myself for that which is eternal. Because above all else, 
above all else. I am being controlled and compelled by the love of Jesus Christ. And that's where we end today, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves. There it is. But for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is the Christian life. And Paul is saying, this is the conclusion that we who are followers of Christ have come to. That Jesus Christ has died on the cross for the sins of the world. And all who have trusted Christ have died to themselves and died to their old life at the cross. And all who are in Christ now live in this new life that Christ alone can provide. And so Paul is saying, as long as there is breath in my lungs, I will by faith not live for myself, but I will by faith live for the one who has died for me. When my life feels uncertain, I will declare that he died for me and I will live for him. When things seem to be coming against me in hostility or persecution, I will declare that he died for me and I will live for him. When things seem to be spinning totally out of control in my life and in the world around me, I will declare that he died for me and I will live for him. When fear in this life begin to grip my heart, when the things of this world seem to overcome me and overwhelm me, I will declare that he died for me and I will live for him. And when others around me are in need, and when others around me have been hurt by the hands of injustice, and when others around me are in places of pain, in places of despair, and longing for hope, I will declare that he died for me and I will live for him and I will speak the truth of the gospel and I will share the goodness of his grace and I will be an example of Christ for the love of God compels me to not live for myself but to live that he might be displayed through me to a world that is longing for hope. This is the message of the Christian life. Will we live it?
He died for me. Will I live for him? Let me pray for us as we close our time together today. Heavenly Father, as we continue to navigate such strange days and such uncertain times, it is such a gift to be able to return to your word to the sure foundation under our feet that reminds us through an eternal perspective that our God is in control and our God is at work to reveal your love and your grace to us and to invite us to live for something greater than anything that this world can offer. So Lord, I pray now for your church. I pray that we would not be guilty of simple lip service that says we believe in Jesus, but it does not come through in the way we live our lives, especially in uncertain times or difficult situations. Lord, use our lives to point to the good news of what you have done. Give us courage to stand on the truth and to speak in compassion in light of the promise of eternity that is to come. And Father, for those who join us today who have never experienced this gift that we call life in Christ, I pray that today would be the day that their eyes would be open to their need for a savior, that they would recognize like Isaiah in his vision of eternity, that before a holy God, they are in desperate need of salvation. I pray that today would be the day in faith that they would say, Jesus, I need you to save me from myself. I need you to save me from my sin. I am trusting you in your goodness, in your grace, in your sacrifice at the cross. I am trusting you to save me. And so I commit my life to you. Oh Lord, I pray that we would live in light of who you are and what you have done. Fix our eyes on eternal things as we point to our only hope. It's in Christ's name I pray this prayer. Amen. God bless you. We'll see you real soon.